1: All right, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Athletic Obscura, the podcast. That's the home of the weird, strange, and unknown in sports. My name is Seth Morman. Across the table from me, as always, is my good friend Rich Manning. How you doing, Seth? I'm well. I'm well. Hey, Rich. Um, I'm having a little bit of nostalgia today.
0: And why is uh, that?
1: Flashback to the to TV. I I have been. I have been uh, on on a deep dive uh, in Hulu, watching uh, like episodic TV from like the '70s. Okay, uh, and I have I've really I've really enjoyed it. I've been I've been centered in Mash. I've been watching okay. like, like the eleven seasons of Mash. It's it's been it's been fantastic. But one of the things I was thinking about is remember two parters? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now not like not like. Like cliffhangers. That's not what I'm talking about. No, oh, but, but just the,
0: the classic "to be continued." Exactly.
1: Yeah. And, and remember the excitement that we would get, like as a kid, all of a sudden "to be continued." Well, you were like, "Ah, dang oh, it!" No. Yeah. yeah. But then it was like so exciting, and you know, this is we'd have to wait a week, you know, before the next episode. Yeah. So I don't know. I know kids, as you're listening to us, and I'm assuming that there's some young people listening to us. No, no Netflix. You know, no Hulu, no Amazon Prime. Yeah, we're not we're not binging uh, things, which is great. Now that I'm watching them on Hulu, I can binge them.
0: Yeah, it's but fun. I, I don't know with a new show. I like what uh, Amazon does with shows like Mrs. Maisel, where they just drop an episode a week. Yeah, I do because lo- it does hang you like that, and that's that's I enjoy wonderful. that
1: too. Disney Plus has done that with uh oh, with Mandalorian, Mandalorian yeah. and, and a few things like that, and, and so I do I do I do appreciate that and. But even the, the days before VCRs, and yeah, I'm I'm old enough <laughs> before the days of VCR. Same here. It was that uh, to be continued that I thought was was pretty great. Now there were some good, you know, cliffhangers. I remember who shot Jr. Oh yeah, from Dallas, mm-hmm. and it was like it was like huge. It's like everybody was wondering after you know the whole offseason, who, yeah. who
0: shot Jr. And then more modern, you know, South Park did a whole spoof of that whole uh, uh, that's you know that right. where they actually then did an April Fool's joke. Joke, uh, joke by dropping a fa- uh, you know a buffer episode in between that and everybody oh, freaked
1: out. Right, yeah, it yeah. was to be continued, but it wasn't continued.
0: Yeah, it was a Terrence and Phillip episode.
1: Oh, oh the Canadians. All right, yeah.
0: So, so yeah, so yeah. You mentioned uh, who shot Jr. Yeah. Um, any other uh, ones that come to mind? Because hey, uh, you mentioned Mash. I know Mash did. The two B continued thing quite a bit.
1: Yeah, they did. I mean there's there's the uh the one I think it might be like season six or something. Colonel Potter had just come in and they do the bug out, you know, at the, at oh, the yeah. beginning there's the and it's a two parter. I think my favorite mash two parter is the uh the goodbye radar ones you know mm-hmm. um radar uh is going home uh you know spoiler alert i'm sorry everybody if you haven't watched mash uh but he gets to go home uh his uncle ends up passing away he gets a hardship discharge um but it was it was great to be continued and you're like oh this is going to be the last one for radar oh wait he's coming back for one more episode that's great oh but he's going to go and it it ends very anti Climactically, yeah, you know, because they have a big party for him, um in in the second uh, episode, and right before they have the party, you hear you know, attention all personnel, incoming wounded, and then they all run to the OR, and he's got to jump in the jeep, and he just like waves through the glass, and you're like, oh my heart, radar, radar's gone, yeah. You got any any of the two parters that? You yeah, kind of I got
0: a more modern one. Uh okay. You know, the Doctor Who revival. Okay, uh, sure. It was great. Well, Doctor, the old classic Doctor Who that you know, we used to see as Americans on PBS, they used to do like, you know, four or five, six part serials.
1: Oh, yeah. So right. it was
0: always like a to be continued, but they continued that with like two parters. And the first season was like one of the best like things of sci fi ever. It was the episode, it's called Empty Child. It's a season, it's an episode where the Doctor goes back to World War II era London. Where he and this young girl get terrorized by this boy in a gas mask that keeps going up to them and going, "Are you my mummy?" Mm, mm. It was. It ended on a proper cliffhanger. Okay, and it freaked my daughters out like so <laughs> bad because they just gotten into Doctor Who. We just decided to watch from the revival from season one of the revival, and they totally freaked out, which gave me great memories of my childhood. Okay because there is a three-part arc that was a crossover arc between the six million dollar man and the bionic woman that's
1: right i remember and that
0: it, it revolved around fembots which yeah were these female robots whose faces had a terrible habit of falling off yeah it i remember revealed, that like all the gears and all the wires that and stuff creeped that. me out it freaked the crud out of me yeah. it scared me like i'd run like Run from the room crying because I was so freaked out, and it was so popular though because they did a uh, two part episode like the next season. Okay, called Fembots in
1: Vegas. That's a good band name,
0: Fembots in Vegas. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I think it's the name of my killer's uh, cover band. (laughs) uh, But it was equally terrifying. I mean, there's a dream sequence I remember where Jamie Summers imagined a, a fembot as a Vegas showgirl.
1: Well. The athletic, po- athletic Obscure podcast is not quite there yet. I hope nobody was freaking out about <laughs> our uh, our our cliffhanger at the end of the last uh, one.
0: Oh, but it was really weird when your face did fall off. It really terrified me. <laughs> I had exactly. no idea. All right. Uh,
1: I think one of my favorite parts of, of a two-parter is that voiceover at the beginning, previously on ALF. Or something like that. Did did ALF have any two-parters? I don't remember.
0: No, but you know, ALF ended on the worst way possible.
1: I don't remember how it ended.
0: Because they set it up for a cliffhanger, but it never got renewed. So dig this. The last episode of ALF, the government agency captures them. And then they just ended? And they ended it because it was going to be a two-parter, allegedly when he was supposed to escape or whatever, but the show ended. So, the show technically, I think they did like a TV movie afterwards, okay. that kind of retcon stuff, but the show technically, the series arc technically ends without getting caught by the government.
1: Oh, Gordon Chumway.
0: Yeah, poor Chumway.
1: Yeah, whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, so here's where we're going. You ready? Yeah. Previously on the Athletic Obscure podcast, a Quinn Martin production. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that. If you're old enough and
0: watch like enough like uh, 70s crime dramas, you'll know. Uh, what we meant by that. But go ahead.
1: Um, So previously on the Athletic Obscure podcast, we talked about pedestrianism. You remember walking. And we decided to drive home afterwards, which was even better. And walking was uh, was, uh, America's favorite spectator sport. Now, if you've not listened to that episode yet, I'm going to ask you to stop this one seriously because you're not going to kind of follow along, go back to one episode about pedestrianism. Heck, go back to the beginning of the podcast to catch up if you really want to. It's not, what are we in, like episode six episode or something? Episode six, so, yeah. So we're okay. Um, we'll be okay. Um, so source, the source of this story, Richard, is an amazing book. And I talked about it last week, but I want to talk more about it today. Um, it's called Pedestrianism, When Watching People Walk, was America's Favorite Spectator Sport by Matthew Algio. Now I said his name correctly. Algio. Yes. I butchered it terribly uh, in the last one. you tried to help me, Richard and I think I might have even whatevered it and so I apologize. I was feeling terrible about it. I actually tried to reach out to Mr. Algio on on Twitter and on his website. Found his email, right. sent him an email, told him a little bit about it. I was a little bit uh, embarrassed because we just have this little dog and pony show. It's nothing uh, exciting or anything, and I just said thank you so much for your great book. I think I butchered your name, um, and uh, he actually responded. And really, he, yeah, and he said, "Yep, y- you butchered my name." <laughs> <laughs> And he, and he said Richard was a whole lot closer. But uh Well there you go. Well,
0: just like you butchered uh, Gordon Shumway's name. I know. I And you even whatever that too. I did. Poor a, Alf, I,
1: poor Alf. But um Mr. Algeo. No, did I mess it up? Yeah, Al- Algeo. Algeo, Mr. Algeo. My public apologies to you that I endeavor that I I butchered your name and I did it again in this podcast. So I will um give you my apologies and I'll give you a hot tip. All right. In the email that he sent me, he gave me um, a, a link to one of his other books Ooh. that I think is going to uh, be uh, a, a future episode. And I don't want to give any more away, but it's going to be great.
0: Absolutely. I have no idea because you convinced me that, I mean, this, he's made what on paper should be just kind of a weird story incredibly fascinating
1: yeah you would think this is an article or something this is a blog post
0: yeah but but it
1: is it is a book and and if you remember about the story i I teased some things at the end of the last episode you did i I said that you know we really only we were taking a look at these two guys we're talking about uh weston and o'leary kind of these big uh walkers um and i didn't say this in the episode but everything that we talked about in the last episode is like in the first 40 pages of the book what (laughs) (laughs) yes 40 pages yeah
0: Oh, the po- oh my gosh, yeah, the he, b- he's flipping through the book right now, and yeah. It's, it's
1: 244 pages long, and we got through 40 pages. We're going to go through 200 pages. Of the- no, we're not going to go through the whole book today. Um, but we are, are going to get um, uh, through it. Um, so it, to set the scene, once again, uh, we have a huge rivalry coming up um uh, weston o'leary won because there's going to be more than one mm-hmm. and we're going to have a doping scandal we're going to get a rematch we're going to get an intervention from a member of british parliament there's going to be championship belts yes i said it championship belts there's <laughs> going to be police corruption there'll be a riot a tragedy new faces in the sport we'll talk about uh, a, a great woman a pedestrian pedestrian they called her Okay. All right. Uh, minorities, uh, some backlash, and eventually the downfall of the sport. So, all right. Let's get to it. All right. So, let's set the stage once again. We left off with arguably the two most famous Americans of their day facing off on one of the most anticipating sporting events in U.S. history. We're talking Super Bowl, World Series. Um, the Masters. The Masters, exactly. So we have Edward Payson Weston started his walking career after he lost a bet in the 1860 presidential election. Remember, he had to walk from Boston to, to the, the, the capital. Yep. Yeah. And he missed it f- for for uh, the, um, uh, the inauguration. He had been packing roller rinks across the country. He'd been staging uh, long-distance walking events. He garnered tremendous spectator interest, not to mention a huge wagering side business. And he was raking in the dough, and he was putting on a show. This is
0: the guy that had the the, uh, stick, right? Yeah, yeah, walking stick. fancy walking stick. Yeah, yeah. ruffled
1: shirt, you know. Yeah. Yeah, He was was that. Now, mustachioed Irishman Daniel O'Leary, not to be outdone, uh, has now called Weston out after besting Weston's greatest walking records, namely, the most miles walked in 24 hours. Now, remember, wrap your head around this. 24 hours, he went 116 miles in 24 hours. That's crazy.
0: That's remarkable. That's essentially walking from Los Angeles to San Diego. Yeah. In a day.
1: Yeah. No way. I would die. Uh, He also bested the record of the fastest walking, 500 miles. He did it in five days, 21 hours, 31 minutes, 50 seconds, uh, two hours faster than Weston. And so now the showdown is set, and it's now going to be set in uh, O'Leary's hometown of Chicago. And it's going to be billed as the greatest walking match for the championship of the world. World, world,
0: world. Thank you for throwing the uh, echo in there because I'm like, that needs some echo action going on. And
1: it would live up to the hype. It's going to spark some of the greatest moments in sports history in the United States. But before we get to that.
0: What? No, don't say that.
1: I got to do it. No. We got to take a quick break. (laughs) We will be right back. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read at PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special Rich and I may be new at podcasting, but our podcast partner is not. We use Anchor.fm to host and distribute the Athletic Obscura podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way we have found to make and distribute a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's totally free, which is a huge selling point for us. Second, there are a ton of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. No additional software needed and no complex programs to learn. Once you've recorded your podcast, Anchor will distribute it for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. One of the coolest things is that you can actually make money from your podcast right away. No need to wait to grow your audience as there are no minimum listener requirements to be met, which helps you when you're just starting out. Anchor has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And we're back. All right. Before the break, I teased that we would get into the most anticipated sporting event in America. Remember, we're going back to 1875. Excitement for the Western O'Leary walking match was about to be fever pitch. Uh, And it would take uh, place inside of a huge building. Now, Rich, you you remember, um, one of the things that kind of sparked some of this uh, was the advent of roller skating.
0: Yeah. All right. So, and I hope that. It, did you look at the uh, scene from uh, Heaven's Gate? Like I, I did. Brought up. You're right. So that, that guy weird? with the weird, fiddle. The
1: fiddle running around with that. It is so bizarre. Yeah. It kind of. It kind of freaked me out, to be honest. Yeah. You. Now, so Weston and, o- and O'Leary are, are hosting uh, walking matches in all of these uh, roller rings. They're charging admission. People are coming, um, but Weston O'Leary one is. Not going to fit in a roller rink. So the great walking match for the championship of the world, 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 was going to be in the largest indoor place, which is Chicago's Mammoth Interstate Exposition building. So right. this is a massive building. It's on Michigan Avenue. Uh, it's not there anymore. It was. It, right. it has been torn down. But there's three big uh, domes, steel and glass. The largest dome was 165 feet in the air. Ships out on Lake Michigan could see it. Uh, the main floor had 240,000 square feet, so five acres. All right. So this is this is huge. So it was when it was built and being used, and at this time for this, it was the largest enclosed public meeting space in the United States.
0: That's remarkable. And this is you know, was this before or after the fire?
1: Uh, this is after the fire.
0: After the fire. So yep. this is really a kind of a statement of saying, yeah, we're back, and uh, we are still the hub, even exactly. though the city burned down. So yep, yep. this is a big. Big municipal statement for Chicago.
1: All right, so let's get back to the race. It's going to be a 500-mile race over six days. Remember, this was going to be um, uh, uh, common. Uh, The future races are all going to be, uh, the big ones are all going to be these 500-mile races over six days. Um, But uh, not on Sundays, remember?
0: Of course not, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, Weston's mom won't let him walk on Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, O'Leary had the home field advantage, and I, I wrote that down, and I'm like, home field advantage? I don't think that term was probably even known because there no. wasn't a home field... Anyways, that yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, Weston uh, didn't refuse the the money. He was going to get 500 bucks and half of the gate receipts.
0: That's actually a pretty good haul.
1: And we're I'll get to it. I'll give you a number after we get through the, this of what he took in. Now, right. um, if you remember... Weston's not unknown in Chicago. Remember, he had that big walk from Portland to Chicago. That was eight years earlier. The city welcomed him as a hero. Yeah, it didn't
0: like. Wasn't the crowd that greeted him like way bigger than anticipated?
1: Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. they said like a fifth of, of the population of Chicago went to yeah to meet him. So, so he's he's an, a known entity there. Um, again, the race is set to begin just after midnight on Monday, November the fifteenth. Again. It'll be Sunday, clicking over to Monday, which I think it's funny. There's no walking on Sunday, but they have to open the venue on a Sunday uh, evening to get it going. Anyways, that's yeah. the part. So, newspapers filled with information. They're f- fanning the flames here. Uh, the rules were simple. First man to walk 500 miles is going to be the winner. And they agreed to what is, quote, fair heel and toe for the race. So, that's... So, no running. No running.
0: So, like, that's kind of like the... Uh uh, rules in place for actual walking today right. as the Olympic sport. And exactly.
1: Such. So you have to have one foot in contact with the ground at all times. All right. So they put in two tracks in the expo building. One was a sixth of a mile. One was a seventh of a mile. Uh, one is going to be on one track. One's going to be on the other. They, they made the tracks of pressed mulch, and it was c- more commonly known as uh, tan bark. Um, and, this was fascinating uh, to me. In the book, it talks about that a generation of Americans. The tan bark is synonymous with pedestrianism, just like we might say the gridiron for football.
0: That's a term that needs to come back. I have no idea how. <laughs> right. How But do I- the tan bark. It's just kind of a cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, in the exposition hall, we got a scoreboard. We got scorekeepers. We got tents for the athletes to rest in. There's a band at the ready. There's a peanut roaster ready to do some massive business. Eight, uh, 11 p.m., they open up, and about 400 people come in. And they're thinking, that's this a lot of people for, right? for that time. Yeah. And it's the mayor of Chicago. Uh, Harvey Doolittle is there. Oh, sorry, Harvey Doolittle Colvin, and he uh, actually gets the, the 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 thing running. And it's not gentlemen start your engines, you know, no. for a five hundred mile race. He says, "Are you ready, Mister O'Leary? Are you ready, Mister Weston? One, two, three, and off they went. All right, and that's how it started. All right. Now the book goes into great detail about the race. It's fascinating. Again. Pick it up, read through it. So many things I'm just going to gloss over. There's way too much in the book. But uh, O'Leary starts out out quick. Weston is convinced he's going to wear himself out. So he paces himself. All right. He's like,
0: he's slow and steady wins the race. Exactly.
1: That's what he's thinking. And O'Leary is going to be the rabbit and he's going to be the the tortoise and everything is great. End of the first day, Weston trails by 9 miles, 110 to 91. Tuesday. The, the, the lead is widened by three miles Wednesday we have O'Leary up by 26 miles and um, he's not slowing down
0: All right at this point you would think that Weston would say okay maybe I got to rethink my strategy exactly a little
1: bit. so as the week goes on the crowd starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger on Friday the Chicago Tribune reported that the crowd was quote simply immense don't know what that was. By Saturday, O'Leary was ahead four twenty-five to three ninety-five, and by at by three p.m. there's a huge long queue for tickets outside. All right. Huh. At seven p.m., the Tribune reported that there were uh, quote that there quote commenced a rush almost unparalleled, and the Expo was quote surrounded by a surging mass of humanity eager to procure tickets. Excitement could not have reached. Uh, a higher pitch, it would seem, for appearances indicated almost a wild delirium in the throng that besieged the building.
0: Okay, this is either remarkable or incredible hyperbole. Yeah, I think it might be a little bit of both because, like you know, like the the days of like you know, well, you know, I'm jumping a, little, a few years ahead of myself, but you know, the great sports writers of the early 20th century, like Ring Lardner, Grantland Rice. Uh, they were known to really just stretch uh, news items about sports into this fantastical prose. Sure, sure. So that might be what's going on here, but nonetheless.
1: So they they do put a few numbers to it. By 8 o'clock, they say the crowd inside is estimated at 5,000.
0: Okay, that's right. much larger. I, I think that would uh, qualify as simply immense, like you'd said. Yeah.
1: Now, inside this hall, there's no grandstands. So there's not, like, bleachers. So this is, like, a crowd of yeah. people. Yeah. And there's no place for them to go. Uh, I want to read just a little quote from from the book uh, about what uh, happens here. Go for it. The crowd was dense, sweeping hither and thither, shouting, yelling, or cheering, the Tribune reported. The crowd was motley, but largely respectable. It represented wealth wealth, standing, and brains, and thieves, gamblers, and roughs. Ladies were there in large numbers, some with husbands and some with lovers, but all had a terribly hard time of it in the ceaselessly moving and noisy throng. Pickpockets and thieves plied their nefarious vocations. The police had trouble controlling the crowd, and on several occasions were overwhelmed, the mob taking possession of the tracks. That's That's, from the Chicago Tribune.
0: That's remarkable. I mean, just... Well, you think that like, no regulation, you know, and no grandstands and, you know, 400 people at the beginning, it kind of became a free-for-all. It's kind of like, almost kind of like, makes you think of like Woodstock.
1: Right, yeah, there's no place, and they're just pushing and moving, and the, it, and so it's going to get a little bit crazier. All right? By 9 o'clock, they said there were 6,000 people there. At 10.15, the announcers using megaphones, because they don't have electrical microphones at this right, point. Right, right. Uh, they announced that O'Leary had completed his 497th mile, and the crowd went crazy, and they basically crushed in on the tracks, and everybody had to stop, right? And then the police had to kind of drive the crowd back off Holy of the cow. tracks again for them to finish. And then at 11.15, um, O'Leary completed his 500th mile, and the place goes crazy. Bonkers, all right? Men threw their hats in the air. The band played celebratory music. O'Leary's wife meets him at the finish line with flowers, uh, takes a brief respite, and then you know what he does?
0: Say, I would walk 500 miles and I would (laughs) walk 500 more.
1: (laughs) He didn't say that, but he just kept walking. (laughs) Of course he did. He kept walking until midnight, and he finishes with 503 miles plus two laps. Which was a third of a mile. <laughs> Weston finishes at uh, 451 miles and four laps, or four sevenths of a mile. What a loser! <laughs> yeah, right. Four hundred and fifty-one <laughs> miles. Uh, it said that the competitors embraced, walked a few laps together, and the crowd's just going crazy. Afterwards, uh, O'Leary was presented with a, a huge gold medal, and it said champion of the world on it.
0: That's spectacular.
1: Yeah. Um, O'Leary is a hero in Chicago, especially with the Irish community. Remember, he was an Irish immigrant. Yeah, makes sense. Other immigrants uh, uh, were just thought it was fantastic. A- and Weston's sort of vilified in this. He doesn't come off very, very well.
0: Well, you got to think of all the pomp and circumstance that he brought to the uh, table with that. I could see why he would be vilified. Yep.
1: So the walking craze, fever pitch in the U.S., um, partly because the public is desperate for entertainment.
0: Yeah, we talked about this in the last episode, ep- in the part one. I mean, the, one of the big Civil War battle, one of the big early worst Civil, uh, Civil War battles had a... A crowd. crowd. Yeah.
1: Pitnickers. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Now... um. After the expenses were paid, Weston walks away with $5,000. Let's do a little bit of math. All right. That's $98,000 in kind of today's money. That's quite a haul. Yeah. O'Leary has $4,500 or $88,000 today.
0: Also quite a haul.
1: He wins but has less money. That's partly because he there, was paying the the extra $500 to Weston to come, to come and to do it. Over yeah. from Europe, yeah, that's, that makes sense. In the newspapers, they're kind of going back and forth. Weston has lots of excuses. He says the charcoal f- uh, fumes from the peanut vendor uh, <laughs> were, were not good. The spectators were intimidated by him with death threats. He said that he didn't want to be uh, turned into, quote, a colander uh, before he got out of the building, uh, meaning that he was going to be riddled with bullets or something like that. And O'Leary basically tells him, you know, step up to a rematch or shut up. Is Good. Big. He doesn't say those words. That this is me, putting words into his mouth. Weston kind of leaves town, is dejected. He gets on a boat and he sails for England. All right. All right. He gets there eighteen seventy six. Eighteen seventy six mean anything to you, Richard?
0: Well, a hundred years ago, uh, some guys uh, got together and wrote something. Uh, declaring their independence, I right. don't remember what it was called. This but, little yeah.
1: Declaration of Independence. Yeah. <laughs> so, there, there's starting to be this, this, uh, this bubbling up of the hundredth anniversary of the Deco- Declaration of Independence. Uh-huh. And when he gets to England, there's a little bit of this um, uh, American English animosity brewing up again.
0: Now, right. Weston,
1: being the one who, who likes to uh, – um, is kind of a showman and everything, he's going to actually use this to his advantage. Okay, how? All right. He is now going to uh, challenge an English pedestrian champion to a race. All right. Uh, by a guy by the name of William Perkins, and he challenges him to a 24-hour race. All right. And the race is going to take place in the Royal Agricultural Hall – Okay. Again, large indoor facility. It still stands today. Really? Yep. You can go and see it in London, uh, and this is going to be Perkins' uh, longest race, and he kind of bills this as uh, uh, America versus England, is kind of what he does. That kind of makes sense. So, and they they pack the place. All right. A huge crowd comes in. There's going to be a big payday. Um, I'm not going to bore you with all the details. Again, in the book get it it's fantastic i'm not getting, getting uh paid for that but let me share one thing i <laughs> thought was great in the book halfway through the race perkins stops for a meal of get this uh, a large mutton chop and a pint of burton ale <laughs> <laughs> all of which he promptly barfs on the floor <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow well you know i Got nothing for that. I
1: I think I would probably do the same thing. All right. Uh, Weston wins. Uh, He completes 109 miles in 24 hours. He bests Perkins in this. A week later, uh, let's think of the timeline. Uh, A week later, he does another match against a guy by the name of Alexander Clark. Same same deal. America, England, kind of this battle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it's a 48-hour match, and, and Clark has basically done no training. All right, and the match was never in doubt. Weston, remember, he's the showman. He's right. walking around the Tanbark, and he has his coronet, and he's playing "God Save the Queen" on his. Oh coronet my gosh! As, so as he this would. guy,
0: this guy would have been like a fantastic uh, heel in wrestling.
1: Oh, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, I mean, just yeah. the stick. The I mean, the way he, he's described in Gio's book, he kind of sounds like uh, like Ted DiBiase or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think it would be perfect yeah. Perfect in wrestling. You got it. Yeah. Now, the next week, he has another match, and there's another crowd that they pack into the place. This time, it's against Englishman Charles Rowell. We're going to see him again in the, in the story. Um, right. And this time, he would let Rowell run. So... Raul could run, and he's okay. going to walk. Seventy-five hour race, and Weston crushes him, two seventy-five to one seventy-six.
0: Wow! Crushes he him. Have, this runner must not have been in good shape, because I would imagine he probably tried to run and yep. overexerted
1: himself. Yep. And yeah, ten days later. All right. So this is another event. Ten days later, he breaks uh, wants to break the five hundred mile record that O'Leary held. Um, He's just too worn out. He only completes 450 miles in six days. He wins the hearts of, of the fans and Londoners, and he's kind of turned, turned the tide, you know, like, like a heel in wrestling gets a bunch of fans. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And then becomes a face.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: But let's, let's go back because you said one week and then a week later. How many miles is this guy walking in a
1: month? Right? A, a, a ton. A ton. Yeah. Now, um, a, a few weeks later, uh, Weston ends up being accused of chewing cocoa leaves to help him. So All here's right. our doping scandal. All right. All right. Tell uh, the
0: kids uh, out there what cocoa leaves uh, is.
1: Basically, it's what uh, we get cocaine out of. It's going to be a stimulant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposed to, to to help him. We've talked about other stimulants, um, especially when we go back to the 1904 Olympics one, where we yeah. talked about um, strychnine, trying to be that, and people... Applying people with brandy, yeah, uh, to help them do those things. So th- this idea of cocoa leaves to help them. Now Weston ends up having to write a letter uh, admitting to using them, and the whole thing, uh, the the whole uh, uh, text of the letter is in the book. Um, and he basically says, "Well, I used it, but it didn't really help me, so I stopped using it." So okay, sounds like some people who did steroids. Like, I used them, but they didn't help, so it's not really a big deal. Yeah. So he tries, so he admits wrongdoing. He rationalizes it away, and we've kind of seen this before.
0: Yeah. And a fun side note is, like you know, the coca leaves, that was an original part of the uh, uh, Coca-Cola formula. Right. Exactly. It was. And what's interesting, though, I I just want to, like, just really quickly uh, throw some, uh, you know, clarification here, because there seems to be a lot of, Things that say, oh, and I kind of thought this too, is that oh yeah, some of the early baseball players when they used to endorse Coke, that's when they had Coke, uh, like, the coca leaves in the right, formula. Right, right. But Coke started stopped using coca leaves in their formula a few years before uh, ball players like Rube Waddell and uh, Nap Joy would uh, endorse Coke. So. Right. Yeah. So, so.
1: It, people think that, but that's not really... Exactly, not, not exactly. So. All right. So in the meantime, O'Leary is now touring, touring the country in the United States. He ends up in San Francisco. He breaks his own 500-mile record. Again, he packs the place. He's making tons of money. Um, let's skip ahead just a little bit. 1877, O'Leary now gets on a boat going back to England. Remember, he was from Ireland. He's going to England. Okay. Uh, he arrives. He then challenges Weston to a race. And they agree, and in April... Royal Agricultural Hall in London, we get Weston v. O'Leary 2. We got a huge crowd, a huge payday, and we've got a very famous person who's going to be here to watch it. This famous person is Sir John Astley, who is a member of Parliament.
0: Now, this is a time where Ireland is still uh, not its own nation, right? It's still under control of the U.K.,
1: my history on this is not completely fair. At least the portion of it is, if not the whole thing. Okay. So,
0: because I wonder if like there's some sort of uh, socio political stuff going on as well here, because you have an Irishman and an Englishman, you know, in this uh, rivalry competition
1: yeah, yeah. in England. Yeah. So um, Astley ends up wagering twenty thousand pounds on Weston to win. Holy cow! That's a ton of money. That's huge. ton of money, all right? And this race is huge news in England and America. Uh, the Telegraph, um, basically instantaneous from, from uh, London to New York to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And everybody's following along in the newspapers. Now, near the end of the race, O'Leary is, is way out in front. And uh, Sir John Astley is furious. And he storms into Weston's tent. He demands him to come back to the track. He was asleep. He was exhausted. But there's no use. O'Leary completes 500 miles by 2 in the afternoon on Saturday but at, and by 6 p.m the crowd is 10,000 outside wow. there's a queue that uh, um, outside so they decide that they're going to double the admission prices and the people still coming in so you know what they do they double the price again and people are still coming in no so you know what they do again they double the price again. And people are still coming in. They 70 said
0: 70 by... years later, they become Disneyland? You're yeah, Right. <laughs> by 9 p.m., they said
1: there's 20,000 people there, Richard. 20,000 people wow. there. Wow. All right. And Weston finally concedes the race at 9 o'clock. What does O'Leary keep doing? Keeps
0: walking, of right? Of course he does. Yeah.
1: He keeps walking. He's just showing off. Yeah, he is. Now, this was Weston's best six-day race. But Leary still bested him by nine miles. Wow, O'Leary is just a stud here. Now we got Walking Fever spanning the Atlantic from from um, f- from England. Now remember, it started in England. Remember, with right. Barclay uh-huh. doing his, I'm going to walk uh, a mile, you know, every hour for a thousand hours, uh-huh. you know, and so that was back in in 1807. And now we have or 1809. I don't have those notes in front of me. Anyways, now we have both sides of the Atlantic are kind of going crazy. Sir John Astley has a bad case of walking fever, partially because I think he was a degenerate gambler.
0: Yeah, that but, makes total sense. I mean, the guy dropped 20,000 pounds on his boy, and he didn't win.
1: Right. So he kind of becomes a walking promoter. Uh, he's got a, a gambling obsession. He organizes a race. Now, this is going to be open to a lot more than just the two competitors. All right. And uh, he, all these people are going to come together, and they're going to win a championship belt. And, of course, it's called the Astley Belt. Of
0: course it is.
1: Yeah, and if you would win the Astley Belt three times in a row, you could keep it forever.
0: So what you're saying is, if someone won this belt three straight years, they could look at the Astley belt and say, never going to give you up. Richard.
1: (laughs) I just got Rickrolled in my own podcast. (laughs) I was so proud when I wrote that. I'm
0: sorry. (laughs) All
1: right. Uh, The first Astley belt race, we got both Weston and O'Leary. Now we have Rowell, who we saw before. Remember, he was the one who was running. Uh, And we got 10 others. O'Leary wins. And he takes the belt with him and it goes back to America. Uh huh. All right. Um, and uh, he takes it back. And while he's back there, he's then challenged uh, by John Hughes in America, a fellow Irish immigrant, for the Astley belt. Okay. Again, I'm skipping through a ton, there's a ton in here. So now we got the Astley belt, the second Astley belt race. Uh, and the match is going to take place in uh, what's called Grand Roman Hippodrome in New York. This is where PT Barnum's circus was held. All right. All right. Uh, and it had been kind of sold and is now called Gilmore Gardens. All right? All right. And it didn't have a cover on it. So when when the circus was there they would put up mm-hmm. a um you know a tent to cover it up this is like your first retractable roof retractable roof right okay Uh, and kind
0: of the way like uh that roof that they put on olympic stadium in uh, montreal
1: yes similar similar to that um uh, you could say that uh, BC Place in Vancouver would be sort of similar to, it that, is, yeah. to that. You know, So you have a, a fabric retractable roof. Um, this venue is going to soon go by a different name and ends up getting sold to the Vanderbilt family. And you probably know the name, Richard. I
0: do, but I'm not going to stew your thunder. That's go for
1: Madison it. Square Garden. This turns into Madison Square Garden. If you are a sports fan, you know Madison Square Garden. Now, this is not the Madison Square Garden that you know of today. That's Madison Square Garden 3. 3. All right. So this is Madison Square Garden one. We really don't have time to get into that whole story, but that is is f- fascinating. So who know who knew that uh, pedestrianism was going to be so influential in, in modern sports? Right. All right. So. Uh, O'Leary defends the Astley belt against Hughes. It's an easy victory for him. And um, uh, Astley now is like, all right, O'Leary has won it twice. If he wins it one more time, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, any of those things, okay? Um, But Astley desperately wants to get that belt back, and and he wants it back in England, so he starts having some competitions in England to find the best uh, pedestrian in England. And guess who now rises to the top? Charles Rowell. Okay, he he was the guy who was running. He is now, okay, he, yeah, he's
0: the guy that uh, Weston let run. Yeah, he still
1: lost. Exactly, he lost to Weston earlier, and there's some uh, there's two other competitors that end up entering in into this uh, this race again. Uh, but it's really a two person race, uh, and it was said that it was the most anticipated sporting event in America to that point. All right, so now we've got Astley Belt three. Again, I'm zipping through a few things here to try okay. to get to it. Sure, sure. Um, so huge crowd show up at Gilmore Gardens day after day after day, um, and we we now have uh, a situation on our hands. All right, all right. Astley Belt Race Three is going to go down uh, in infamy. All right, not for just what happens on the Tanbark. All right, let me explain. We've got uh, we've got a police captain named uh, Alex. Alexander Williams uh he goes by Clubber.
0: Okay, I could pretty much guess why he has that nickname.
1: Correct. So, um NYPD at this point don't have sidearms. They have billy clubs. Yep. And um uh, Alexander Clubber Williams is known as being uh first of all very corrupt. Um running his part of the city basically like a mob boss. Um and it's just, it's it's not great. But inside of Gilmore Gardens, so many people want to come in that Alexander Williams, I'll just call him Clubber, Clubber uh, and his cronies um, lock the gates because they're afraid that too many people in here and this is going to go poorly. So they, they lock the gates and then they basically beat the crowd back. All right, they say, no more people in here. Mm. Um, now, inside... People were were loving it. They didn't weren't loving the clubbing that was going on outside. They were uh, were they even
0: aware of not the even clubbing? Aware. Yeah, not even aware.
1: They were enjoying what was happening in there. Um, by Wednesday, remember this is another six day race. Uh-huh. All right. On Wednesday, O'Leary is not doing well, and he ends up withdrawing. But the crowds keep coming, so it's not just about O'Leary. It's about the the race. Um. And day after day, the bar kept serving, and there was a huge crowd. And on Wednesday, they said about eight fifteen, there was a large cracking that was heard on one of the balconies. Oh! And the balcony ends up collapsing, and tons of people fall down. It triggers panic, and a stampede out of the building. The band stops playing. the The competitors stopped. People are jumping out of windows. Um, people are thinking that the, uh, the place is on fire and they're starting to freak out. So Clubber and his cronies are trying to stop. So there's basically now a riot. There was, yeah. there was one riot and now there's another riot that, that is starting to happen. Inside, um, they basically clean up the debris, get everybody moving, injured, end up going to the hospital. Good news, nobody's killed. That's remarkable because
0: back then, you know, you didn't have the building codes or anything like that. No. And really, just if you ever look at like the history of like building codes or innovation stuff, a lot of that stuff was born out of tragedies yep. like this where yep. people died. So yep. it's phenomenal that they did not have any deaths.
1: And I, I don't know if any of those things came out of this. The the book didn't get into it, and I, I didn't really do any research. But I, I would guess something that was happening there but, but like 30 minutes later, they start the race again. And in that area, they kind of just cleaned it all up. And in the book, it says they, they made it into a concession stand. <laughs> hey, ingenuity. Right, right. right. Now, um, Raul ends up winning the Astley belt. Really? Astley is ecstatic, brings it back uh, to England, and he it's just fantastic. Now, Raul is going to be in the fourth Astley Belt race. It's going to take place in London. Uh, Weston is going to be involved in this one. Remember, he wasn't involved in three, but he's going to be involved in this one. And guess what Weston's going to do? What? He's going to run.
0: That seems like against every uh, ethical code that Weston would have.
1: Exactly. It seems like the stupidest thing ever. All right. So he says he's going to run. And um he actually did run for part of the race and literally he ran away with the victory. Uh five hundred and fifty miles to four hundred and fifty three. All right. So now uh Raoul wins the belt in America, brings it back, defends it against Weston, who's an American who then wins the belt. All right. All right. Now um we have something fascinating that, that enters into the story. Pedestrianism's popularity is kind of going down in England, and it's really due to two people. You've heard of these two people before, Richard. Mm-hmm. Their names are Gilbert and Sullivan. Okay. Because so. the popularity of their musical, Pinafore, starts taking London by storm. Okay. And people are now going to the theater. And they're going to see musicals, and so this going to just watch people walk. Eh, it's not so fun anymore. Yeah. So now they have something, something new and some and something, something different. Very, right. very cool. We'll get back to the Astley belt uh, in just a little bit, and there's going to be a new belt coming in. But let me talk about a few more people <laughs> in the meantime. Uh, let's talk about uh, Ada Anderson. Um, Ada Anderson right. uh, is is a female pedestrian, um, and she. Um, wants to get in on the lucrative money that is here in pedestrianism. So what she does is, is she, she um, basically rents out a theater in Brooklyn. Um, she sets up a, a track in there, and she says she's going to attempt to walk a quarter mile every quarter hour for 1,000 consecutive quarter hours. So every 15 minutes, she's uh-huh. going to walk... A quarter of a mile, so you know, in fifteen minutes she'll walk a quarter of a mile. Right. Then she'll rest and then quarter of a mile. The next fifteen minutes and rest. and and she'll do this for for a thousand quarter hours. That's like a little more than twenty eight days, with no breaks in between. No, no breaks in between. A quarter mile. She'll just how she'll, she'll walk a quarter mile. And then, again, this gets into that po- polyphasic sleeping and monophasic sleeping and all those things. Oh, that's trim- that's.
0: I can't wrap my head around that. It's it just seems like you're really punishing the body, yeah,
1: to an extreme. Mm-hmm. That's going to get get into at the end of the story too. Why pedestrianism ends up falling off, but uh, hold that for a second. All right, now, but uh, but Miss Anderson here really kind of makes pedestrianism accessible to kind of a different crowd. All right, so mm-hmm. this is in a smaller theater. And in the theater it was packed you know every single day for twenty eight days um different crowd coming in and out. they're serving drinks um and uh, it's really a lot more um, a lot more women, a lot more kind of um it wasn't the rough crowd wasn't the super rich or the super poor. this became kind of uh, now a sport for everyone okay so you had the, the pickpocks and the the ne'er do wells and all those people and the the super rich people, the Astleys of the world. And now this is kind of like like middle class. You know, there's some other there's some other people in the book. Again, pick up the book; you can read that whole uh, chapter on on the women uh, in pedestrianism. Fascinating. Let's get back to this uh, this Weston O'Leary thing. Weston ends up coming back to America. He's going to defend the Astley Astley Belt in, of course, now newly named Madison Square Garden. All right. So we're going to have the next Astley Belt rate race they've got new grandstands that are erected there's a new scoreboard in place um, and we've got Weston we've got Rowell and we've got 11 others okay so, so 13 people in 13 total. people yeah and for the first time each of the competitors going to wear a large red number pinned on their chest all right so you might not know like their names but you know their numbers okay so um, from what I didn't do a ton of research on this, but is this one of the first ones where we get to numbers on athletes? Uh, I
0: would think so because it's kind of standard practice for marathons.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we know that that numbers like in baseball happen a lot later. In the 30s, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, those type of things. Um, uh, But one of the competitors that was really set apart from the rest, uh, his name is Frank Hart. Uh, They end up calling him Black Dan. All right. After you after, mentioned him, after Daniel O'Leary, all yes. right, and he he's from Boston. He's an African American, uh, and he um, is really going to win the hearts uh, of the crowd. Now, let's put this into some some uh, um, cultural context here. This is before Plessy v. Ferguson, eighteen ninety six, which really set up Jim Crow laws and segregation, okay. and all of kind of that yucky stuff. Yeah. Um, and so this is not necessarily that there is a, a terrible um, uh, group of people that dislikes or does not want an African-American involved in this. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily scandalous, but this does open up some opportunities to some, some people who weren't engaged in pedestrianism in the spectator sports. Okay. And the book goes into to some of that a little bit more. Um, in the end, in, in this uh, uh, next Astley Belt race, um, Raul wins again uh Hart ends up finishing 4th. Weston is a distant 6th. But Hart is the one who's everybody's talking about. Okay. They, they 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 fall in in love with him. We'll get back to him in just a little bit. Now, O'Leary wasn't a part of this race, but not to be outdone 4 days later he hosts his own race and the winner of that is going to get the O'Leary belt. Correct. Well, these guys are original. <laughs> right. And, of course, O'Leary said that it was far superior to the Astley belt. Um, O'Leary didn't race, but guess what he did? He kept the gate receipts.
0: All right. And I'm so, sure he made uh, a decent amount of money. Uh, absolutely.
1: All right. In, in, in 1879, uh, peb- public opinion is starting to kind of turn on pedestrianism. Okay. Uh, the Reverend Dr. John Philip Newman uh, he starts uh, begin to preach against it. He's part of the temperance movement. Okay. All right. So he's saying that, you know, all the other things that came with the races, the drinking, the gambling, and all that kind of stuff, um, and really where he ends up landing on this too is the devaluation of human life.
0: Yeah, but that makes sense, though, about what you said about him being a part of the temperance movement and preaching against that because, uh, you know, Obviously, right around this time, this is where uh, people like Carrie Nation and her hatchetings yep. and stuff like that—they really start picking up some serious steam about that. And uh, you know, there is a really rich, fascinating intermingling between sports and quote behavior of ill repute. Yeah, that we should probably dig into uh, later on in a future. Episode. I think that's great because there's some wonderful go. yep.
1: things going on there. Yep. Just, I did find it fascinating that you know just like you had talked about for before um, this this uh, how hard this must be on the body yeah that is where kind of these preachers start preaching against that this is not how we should be treating the body that they would say that God has given us all right so that's so so public opinion is starting to turn a little bit but the races keep going on um, we got now pictures of the athletes in in uh, tobacco packages so tobacco cards when we were young rich it was in bubblegum. You know, oh, yeah, that, totally. that we get, we get baseball cards, but this is kind of the the genesis of this, right? Of trading cards, okay. And it wasn't baseball players; it's pedestrians that are the first ones that that's are in wild. these cards. So the precursor to, to this whole thing. Now Frank Hart is on these cards. Frank Hart ends up winning the second O'Leary belt at Madison Square Garden. Of course, he right. returns to Boston. He actually becomes ill and was really never the same racer before. Oh, right. that's unfortunate. Yeah, um, and. uh Now we have the wheels kind of coming off. Gambling scandals are are the norm. Athletes and bookies are fixing races. Uh, Things get worse from there. Temperance movement starts affecting attendance. Um, There is even a little bit in the book that they were trying to to, to woo uh, Weston and O'Leary into another um, big competition, but they had to agree that there would be no alcohol sold and no tobacco and all those kind of things. They basically said, nah,
0: we're, we're not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, no.
1: And then the other thing that really starts turning the tide is that there's a new sport, cycling. Okay. Cycling is end uh, ending up going to kind of take the place of pedestrianism in, in many ways. All right. All right. Well, um, I would
0: imagine that they would probably be u- able to use the same track. Yeah. Because
1: that tan bark was not too
0: dissimilar. I would imagine, for like what we see with the velodromes.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, but I would think that yeah. too. But they did say that one of the biggest issues that that caused the end of pedestrianism is the lack of a governing body. So there's 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 yeah. no centralization here to kind of say what are the rules are going to be and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. Uh, in addition, we we've got new things that are starting to entertain the masses later here in the 19th century. You got baseball. All right now. In 1880, you have something in New York uh, called the Collins Law, which ends up being passed, and that bans six-day walking races in New York. Okay. So, and by the way, it's still on the books. Really? And and it, it could be, uh, um, it's a, quote, offensive exhibition, unquote. <laughs>
0: That's saying something
1: in New York. Right. Yeah. Now, um, without the glitz of Madison Square Garden and stuff like that, the there's not... As much money to be made in pedestrianism anymore. They can't. Sure. They can't hold the um, the matches in the place where everybody would go to, where the crowds were. Um, so they were starting to do some ones in other places, but really Weston ends up going back to overland walks. Remember that's how we started. Yeah, the whole thing in 1906. Uh, at age 67, Weston walks from Philadelphia to New York in less than 24 hours. And then he repeats the Portland, Portland, Maine, by the way, to Chicago overland a year later. So he's like 68 years old. That's nuts. Yeah, crazy. Now, in 1907, O'Leary uh, attempts to, to, um, uh, to do Barclay's feat. We talked about that last episode. I, I mentioned it again. One mile uh, for every, uh, every thousand uh, on, on a thousand consecutive hours. And he was successful. He did it, and the duo Weston and O'Leary continue engagement in walking exhibitions. I found this fascinating. This is towards the end of the book, nineteen twenty-seven. Daniel O'Leary is still walking, uh, and he's doing it in baseball stadiums.
0: That's so the same year of Yankees fabled Murderers Row yep. with Ruth, Gehrig, and yep. all that. Nineteen twenty-seven.
1: Yep. Wow,
0: that's that's. So fascinating when like timelines of unusual stuff kind of intertwine. Yep. It's yeah.
1: So basically, what he would do is, is he would challenge the players to a race. He's going to walk once around from home to the bases, and the and the player can run, but they have to do it twice. Okay, and he wins a whole lot more than he loses. Right at at the end, he would wow. they pass the hat and people put their spare change in. Uh And that's how he kind of uh, made his money a little bit later uh, in life. So, who knows where Spectator Sports would be without Weston and O'Leary. And when I began this journey two episodes ago, you didn't even know who Weston and O'Leary were. No. I don't think I'm ever going to forget them. No, No, I mean,
0: how can you not?
1: Now, there is so much more in the book that I wanted to share with you. Uh, we just don't have the time. If you want to get uh, that book, um, I'll put a link into the show notes about it. You can pick it up at Amazon. Uh, it's called Pedestrianism, When Watching People Walk, Was America's Favorite Spectator Sport by? Matthew Algio. All
0: right, thank you. Oh, wait, Matthew Algio. All right. I want to make sure I get that right. All right,
1: Rich, any final thoughts?
0: I'm exhausted. <laughs> I know. It's just... <laughs> I, I, it's just remarkable, and again, just, and I know we touched about this in episode one, but this is the kind of stuff that you can build uh, novels on, and Stephen King did with that dystopian yep. novel, The Long the Long Walk. We
1: talked about that a little bit last week. Yeah, which definitely. Which
0: now looks like it's going to be made into, the wheels are starting to spin about making that into a feature film, ah. and it's been a project that's been going on and off for the last decade or so. Okay. But it looks like it's picking up steam with the success of the Squid Game.
1: Yes, right. Yeah,
0: right. So, which okay. is another one of those, yeah, weird kind of win or die things, and yep. so that would fit. So,
1: I kind of think uh, when I look back at this whole thing, um, just to think about the athleticism of of, of Weston and O'Leary, and, well, and and Rowell and mm-hmm. and uh, Hart and some of the other ones in there, and th- they're never in the conversation. About amazing athletes in in U.S. history, they just never are.
0: They aren't. And the other thing is, you also have to think that the thought of training, athletic training, as we know it today, did not exist. Right. I mean, even spring training in baseball wasn't invented. I don't think until like the 1880s when Cap Anson of the White Sox did it. Yep. So yep. this predates even that. So the whole thought of just remaining perpetually in shape to do these kind of things was not, uh, was not a thing.
1: Well, right. And, and just to think that Weston, when he's in England, it does, you know, week after week, after week, after week, yeah. doing these things, then he ends up doing the six day race, you know, and, and it, it's just, it's just mind blowing. Anyways, big, big thanks, um, to, to the book. Um, Again, we're not getting paid uh, to to for you to go buy this. Oh, please pick it up. It's please phenomenal. pick it up. It it is it is phenomenal. All right, um, let's land this ship, huh? Yes. Right. Can you land a ship? All right. Who knows? Uh, thanks again for taking the time uh, to listen. If you got a, a topic idea for us, uh, you want to chat, you want to agree, disagree with any of the things we talked about, send us an email. I'm going to put that a link to that uh, in the show notes. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, comment on the podcast platform Okay, We can fix that in post. Yeah, I'm not going to. You're going to hear this warts and all. Anyways, uh, look us up on something called Good Pods. Now, we're not getting paid for that, but I've been using Good Pods lately for the podcast. I just like it because it's got some social media elements in it. You can follow people. You can find out what they're listening to. um, And you can give uh, the podcast producers a tip. Not, oh, like, nice. like, not like don't spit in the wind, but like literally, like on their Venmo, you can give them a little tip. Oh, okay. So I think that's pretty cool. So you can give us a tip via the Good Pods app if you want to go there. That would be great. Uh, you can support our podcast financially. we got some cost to cover. Uh, there's a link for that in the show notes if you wanted to support us through anchor.fm. You can connect with us on Twitter, at Athletic Obscura, and I would love to interact with you on Twitter. I've been doing lots of uh, stuff on Twitter. Uh, in fact, I post weird, strange, and unknown uh, tidbits about sports every single day. We'd love for uh, to connect with you there. If you are interested in sponsoring the show in, in a more uh, substantial way, we can get in contact with us and we'll get the ball rolling on that and don't forget to check out anchor.fm for all your podcast needs I think I got it all in you did, congratulations All right. until next time we invite you to another discussion of the weird, strange and unknown in sports adios everybody